This is Difference Makers. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, and I am privileged to be the Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860 The Answer, KPAM, AM 1640 The Patriot, 93.1 LRA and 104.1 The Fish. And if you'd like to find out how to become an authority and expand the reach of your ministry or your business, both on the air from our state-of-the-art studios or from digital resources from Salem Surround. You can also find out how to qualify for hosting your own radio program and even appearing at our concerts and events like Gospel Sing Live, Fish Fest, and the Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast coming Tuesday, October 15th, featuring Dr. David Jeremiah of Turning Point. You might even want to ask how you can host one of our events and bring our people to your church or business at no risk to you. Just email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. Clark Hilton is across the glass. And over the phone lines, we are very privileged to have John O'Leary. John is the president and speaker and author from John O'Leary Live Inspired. He is also the host of a new podcast episode and guest every Thursday. And John O'Leary has lived through worse than most can imagine, which is why we on Portland's Good Friday Steering Committee have chosen John O'Leary to be our keynote speaker this year for Good Friday Breakfast. That's coming up on Friday, April 19th from 7 to 8.45 in the morning. And that'll be at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland featuring music from Dorcas Brown. Smith of the Brown Sisters. You may remember that we spoke with Dorcas and her son Joseph a little while back on Difference Makers. And our keynote speaker is here with us today. So welcome, John O'Leary. How are you, sir? Brother Mike, I am great and honored to be on your uh, on your show. Uh, it's truly a privilege. And John is an inspirational speaker and the author of the book, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. So, John, could you tell us a little bit about this book that you've written? I think most of the books we write in life come out of the stories that are part of our life, and and that's certainly true in my case. At age nine, growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, I uh, had witnessed little boys in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. And, Mike, when you're nine and you're a boy... And you see kids doing this, you're not really thinking, my gosh, that looks scary. You're thinking, my gosh, that looks awesome. And if they can do it, so can I. And so on a Saturday morning with my father at work and my mother out with two of my sisters, I walked into their garage, lit a piece of cardboard on fire, bent over a can of gasoline, bent down next to this little piece of paper that was burning, tried to pour a little bit of gasoline on top, and before the liquid even comes out, the fumes inhaled the flame into the container. It created a huge explosion, launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage, set my world on fire, changed everything, Mike. And so the book is called On Fire in part because it got burnt. But, but that's the easy part. But the real reason it's called On Fire is because of the story that God helps write afterwards. And that's the exciting part about my book. I think that's the exciting part about the events for the Good Friday Prayer Breakfast. And I really think that's the cool part about our lives going forward, that bad things do happen, that we do go through experiences of being burned, and yet that God works through it, and the best is yet to come. 
It's really, truly an inspiring story that you shared all over the world, John. So of the places that you've spoken before, do you have any that stand out in your mind as extra memorable or some of your favorites? You know, my, my favorite event I've ever spoken at actually took, took place at a penitentiary. It was in Kansas at Fort Leavenworth, which is a federal prison, built to scare the mobsters. So uh, it scared the mobsters when it, they built it. It scared O'Leary when he visited it. It's a really intimidating prison. And I, I went out there, and while I'm speaking to this group of guys, they actually lost power. So um, oh, no. in the midst of, I'm serious, in the midst of maybe 140 or so guys, these are lifers. Like these, I don't know what these men have done. I'm not there to judge them. I'm there to love them. But in the middle of this room, they lose power, and it's John, no guards, and one skinny chaplain and all these inmates. And it's pitch black. There's one light above an exit, but the exit door is, is locked. So there's one light in the entire massive gym. And from the darkness, I hear near the back of the room, a large man scream out, keep talking. <laughs> so in pitch black darkness with all these inmates around me in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, John O'Leary, who weighs about 105 pounds when he's soaking wet, continues the story, continues the testimony, continues to share with them what God did in my story, what I, I'm convinced he's doing in their stories, and the truth that um, we don't have to be defined by what happened to us yesterday, what we did yesterday, or the walls that surround us today. So uh, it's a story that resonated with a group of inmates in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, in pitch black. It, uh, it's one that I remember still almost a decade after it first was shared. That must have been the most frightening, harrowing experience ever. <laughs> well, think about the movies and TV shows when they have the big death row inmate type present and then the lights go out. Only bad right. things happen at this point. And yet <laughs> in, in real life, John O'Leary, when this happened to you, a big voice said, keep talking. That's great. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And I, I honestly think in move, movies are uh, they're movies for a reason, and typically they're not real life. I'm always amazed and humbled when you show up in great love, like, truly, like not there to fix somebody or tell them what they did wrong or how they can take the next best step forward, but just when you show up in love, that even the big tough guy in the back of a of a jail cell frequently will meet you in return with love. That's not always the case. But in my experiences in a wild life that I've lived, it has been my case much more than often than not. That's really wonderful that we've been able to land a John O'Leary to speak at the Good Friday Breakfast. And if you're unfamiliar with it, this is not at all a fundraiser for the YMCA of Columbia Willamette, which provides programs throughout our area. It's simply sponsored by the YMCA of Columbia Willamette. So again, friends, this is not a fundraiser. This is such a difficult stigma on any meal that's put out there, John, that I want to say that up front. Instead, Good right. Friday Breakfast is bringing the Portland area together to simply celebrate Jesus Christ with an inspirational speaker, being John O'Leary, the music of Dorcas Smith of the Brown Sisters, and a wonderful meal. And we're very privileged that it's the largest such event in Oregon. Not so much for the fact that we're getting a lot of people dressed nicely the Friday before Easter, as much as the whole vision of Good Friday Breakfast is there's maybe two holidays throughout the entire year where we can get away with saying that we're Christian and not have it taken in a way that people were going to say, oh, well, you're haters or you're in my face about it. 
this is an ideal situation for Christians and especially Christian business owners to say, this is my faith. I'm going to shut the office or shop down for a day. I'm going to give you a paid day off because I believe in this. And if you'd like, I would like to invite you, my staffer or coworker, to come to breakfast with me on me. And that's what we're all about with Good Friday Breakfast. And all of the information that you'd want could be on various websites, including kpdq.com. But the easy one to remember would be portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. That's portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org, which connects to our YMCA website link. And speaking of websites, there's an amazing amount of information on John O'Leary. When you go to his website, johnolearyinspires.com, that's John O'Leary Inspires.com. So, John, with all the places that you've spoken over the years, do you have different approaches when it is a flagrantly Christian event versus a, a secular event or in a prison? Oh, sure. But uh, honestly, in any setting, whether I'm speaking to first grade children or uh, a retirement home, whether they're inmates in Kansas or CEOs in Melbourne, Australia, uh, Dubai, we've been there several times, Saudi Arabia, all over the world. The, the story that I share and the heart that I share is is met with, um, it's met with love because it's delivered in love. It's delivered in honest truth, and it is impossible to ignore truth when, it, when it's in front of you. And so, yes, of course, I always meet an audience where they are. It's ultimately not about at all where I am, Mike, as you know. But when you meet others in love, when you meet them at the well of their life, when you listen to their stories, and when you uh, show them that there is a pathway forward for them to journey, and that you are willing and open to journeying with them, I think that turns anybody on from any walk of life to continue the journey forward. Mm. So it's amazing that some people would refer to you as a survivor, but you are so much more, John O'Leary, because you're bringing a hope to people no matter where they are. And... After a while, is it still a bit of a rush and a thrill to speak up to the podium and start sharing your message? And so er earlier this week, I spoke to a group of third grade kids, and I had butterflies like you can imagine speaking to them. Okay, I've I've been doing this for 15 years. I've done it 2,000 times in front of a couple million people, and I still get nervous, butterflies, excitement every single time out. We're already thinking organizationally about Good Friday. We are already planning some of the contents, some of what we want to share for your group. I'm already nervous thinking about Good Friday, and it's weeks and weeks away. So, yeah, it's still a thrill, and candidly, when it becomes less of a thrill, that means it's time for me to pivot into the next stage of life. I feel called to do this. And you said earlier, John, you bring hope, and I appreciate that, but I would suggest I reflect hope. I am not the hope, and I am I'm not the light, but I get to share a, an incredibly story that you cannot ignore. It is so powerful that it wakes people up from accidental living so that they can more boldly and honestly live their best lives going forward. So is it human nature, John, that just makes us soft until we hit a major roadblock or a challenge like yours in the fire at age nine? Well, that, that's such an important question because I, th- I, th- I think the answer to your either or is yes, right? So there is no doubt that when we get burned, when you go through a bankruptcy or a divorce or you've been abused or you're sick of being addicted to something or you don't fit in any, any longer or you can't find gainful employment or you've lost all sense of meaning in life, that that is an awesome invitation and opportunity 
to lean into something greater than yourself. And for you and me, we find that in Jesus Christ. But you don't have to wait till then. Not, not everybody who comes to Jesus found him at the bottom of the well. Not everybody has to wait until that experience of being burned. It's so for us, those of us who are living today in, in the splendor of light, those of us who are looking forward to a bright uh, blue spring sky coming, rather than waiting for the tragedy to hit, I say wake up and, and enjoy it right now. I had a, a lady read my book recently, and she said, John, I, I've been living a fine life, but I've had no faith. I've had no energy around that at all. But I realized after I read your book that I don't know exactly who God is, but I know for sure that He is real, that He is alive, and that He is calling me home. And this was shared to me by a woman who previously had been an atheist. She woke, she uh, was raised in a Jewish household, and she's alive again in faith for something greater than herself. And I, I believe that's Jesus Christ. So, yes, we find our calling to come home during times of trial and tragedy. And we don't have to wait till then. That's the great news we get to step into and share with our brothers and sisters every day in the marketplace of life. And the neat thing about your particular story, John, is this is more than just a self-help, you know, rocky, inspirational story. <laughs> this is about your faith in Jesus Christ that was strong enough in your book to touch this reader to the point where she didn't believe in God. She was an atheist. And yet somehow... Throughout the stories you shared in the book On Fire, you were able to reach her exactly where she was. Well, Mike, the uh, the story, just a little context for your listeners. You know, I got burned at age nine, spent five months in hospital, did a couple years in surgery and therapy, returned to school eventually, and never told a classmate what happened to me. Like, they knew, but never from my mouth. Went on to high school, never told a classmate, went on to college, joined a fraternity, lived the life, man, dated, just living life forward, never telling anybody what happened. And for those of you listening right now, I don't have fingers. I'm scarred from my neck to my toes. I've got some physical challenges that are impossible to ignore, and yet for the majority of my life, I ignored them because I don't want to be the star. I didn't want to be weighed down by experiences of yesterday. And then my mom and dad, when I was 26 or 27 years old, wrote a little baby book about what happened to their son, John. They printed 100 copies, and they sold 80,000 copies. That book is called Overwhelming Odds. And they, they, they wanted to share their faith story of what happened to them as a couple. But in sharing their story, what they also did is they shared mine. And for the first time in my entire life, I recognized the gift of what happened to me. Not the tragedy, not the brokenness, not, not the abuse, not the amputations, not the, not the scars, not the ugliness of it all, but also the beauty and the redemption and how Christ played through this and how shined, in fact, through this. And very slowly, I started speaking on my own story. My very first speech, if you can imagine, was not in Portland to uh, 1,200 or so seekers and believers. It was to three Girl Scouts. That's my first talk. I got so nervous and sick before I shared that I got sick in the parking lot walking in. But that's my first one, Mike. And, and we're going to hear more from John O'Leary right after the break. Check out his website, JohnO'LearyInspires.com. More with John O'Leary next on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, and coming up on 
April 19th. It's Portland's Good Friday Breakfast from 7 to 8.45 at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland, featuring music by Dorcas Smith of the Brown Sisters and a keynote speech by inspirational speaker and author of On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life, John O'Leary, today's guest. So, John, thanks so much for taking time out from your busy schedule, speaking from crowds of all different types and sizes, from third graders to prisoners and everything. And before the break, John, you were mentioning that your parents came out with a book called Overwhelming Odds. So I want to do that book, Due Diligence, and the number of people it inspired. So after they released it, did you have any idea of the impact that your parents' book would have? No, and I think most of us, Mike, underestimate the power of our story. We we play small. John MacArthur wrote a great book called 12 Ordinary Men. And uh, in it, he basically calls out the question, if you were CEO of a large organization, one that you really wanted to be sustainable and impactful, who would you have on your board? Who would be your chief salesperson? Who would be your CFO? Who, who would you have lead it? And, of course, we would all choose the best of the best and go to the brightest Ivy League schools around. And then John MacArthur says, so who does Jesus Christ call when he builds the most important organization in the history of the world, the church? And, of course, it's far from the great rabbis or the great teachers and the great Greek universities. It's tax collectors and fishermen and ordinary guys who probably look a lot like you, Mike Lee, and John O'Leary and your listeners, just ordinary folks. And yet, ordinary folks, when they are alive in the Spirit, can do extraordinary things. And we took for granted our story. And we took for granted the way that God was going to use our story in a mighty way. And here you are, speaking at all these different places. So, John, could you tell us about how your adjustment was? I mean, this happened to you at such a young age. Do you remember life before the accident, before the burns? Well, so it's odd you bring that up. I, uh, I'm working today from St. Louis, Missouri. That's my home base. I went home earlier, just a, a couple hours ago for lunch. And in my own little home office, there's a picture of me taken one week before I was burned. And I haven't seen that picture in years. It's from my grandmother's house. My wife and I were in that office together just talking earlier. And, and uh, we looked up. We actually pulled that picture down. And she said, do, do you miss your hands? And we, I don't know if she and I have ever talked about that. Do, do you miss your old body? We just talked about life before being burned. And I was able to report back, I don't really miss it. But there's a day that I look forward to one day being able to grip a ball with hands and throw, you know, throw the football to my kids without having to underhand it. Like, I, I look forward to maybe returning to that, those days in heaven. In the meantime, though, in the meantime, I remember those days, but I don't remember the days before I was burned with dread. It's just part of the same story. So for those of you who love nature, trees. Once a tree falls, you can actually look in the rings of that tree to see what kind of years they had like the good years, the prosperous years, plenty of water, et cetera. And you can see the years where there was actually a drought or too much water. And uh, I, I view all of these experiences from my past really not either as good or bad, but part of the perfect story that has led up to you and me being on this phone call today. It's all been critical to lead to our conversation, to lead to my faith journey, to lead to my my introduction to my wife, which led to four little kids, which has led to an amazing journey, not only as a speaker and as an author, but also as a father and, a, and as a husband. So by all means, John O'Leary, feel free to boast on your wife and kids. So where did you meet your wife in the first place? I'm curious. 
Well, I can brag on her in so many ways. Number one is she, she's physically gorgeous. Every time I see my wife, I'm like, I, I cannot believe you said yes. Like it, it overwhelms me how pretty she is and that I get to, I get to do life with her. And as pretty as she is on the outside, she's much more beautiful on the inside. She's got a great heart. She's got a strong faith. She's a great mom. Um, she's an occupational therapist, which means she works with kids with special needs, which if you unpack that a little bit farther, it means that she is able to see in others what most of us can't see. Rather than seeing the disability or the wheelchair or the blindness or the limitation, she sees what's possible. She sees the future. And that's a really cool way to see those around us, but it's also a really cool way to see a husband or four kids or life or our economy or our country or our lives together. So I'm really lucky and really blessed to be married to Elizabeth Grace. That's my bride. And through that, we have four little kids, a little boy named Jack, and then one named Patrick, and one named Henry. And then at the bottom of the barrel, but far from it, there's a little baby girl named Grace. Oh, uh, those those babies are my pride and joy, and I'm, I'm, I'm the best job title I have is dad. That's so true. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I love the privilege I have of working in broadcast and all these years later, and that God puts food on the table well enough when we squeak by. And at the same time, though, I don't think there's anything quite as rewarding as being a father and being soberly responsible for these little lives and they're all so different it's it's a crazy thing so do you remember the the first time you became a dad dad. uh so i was going to add on you know all four of them have completely different dads i'm sure because all four kids are completely different human beings and uh we have the honor of trying to figure out what where to meet them how to love them and how to guide them forward and do i remember the first time i became a dad yes I think you always remember your first, right? I mean, you remember the first, you remember the first time you saw the ocean or a mountain or a sunset or a first kiss or when she said, I do. And I think we, we never forget those moments. And I'll certainly never forget the moment of holding Jack and kissing his fuzzy little head the first time and, and looking into his eyes and saying, my gosh, I've got to love this kid. I've got to become a better person myself so that he can have a better journey forward in his own life. And, in holding him that day, November 14th, 2005, I think, it changed everything. It, it, it eventually changed my career, changed my faith journey, changed the way I showed up in life, and it certainly changed the way I've lived forward. So are your kids fairly well motivated? You mentioned how incredibly diverse and different they are from each other, but do they have that same drive and outlook on life that you and your wife, Elizabeth Grace, have? Yeah, to be totally honest, and, uh, hopefully it's just the three of us. You're one listener, you and me right now. They're all so different, which includes the fact that they're all motivated differently. Some of them struggle mightily in school. Some of them, it is a chore every morning to pry them out of bed, to <laughs> beg them. I got to pay some of them to get into the bath with cookies. Like, it is not easy parenting. And uh, for those of us who, who judge how other kids are in church or at restaurants, it's probably because you haven't had your own. Because <laughs> once you have your own, I mean, celibacy has its benefits. There's no doubt about that. Like, listen, once you ha- once you have your own kids, you recognize how challenging this is, and what a gift it is. Because it leads to compassion. It leads to forgiveness. It leads to grace. 
I mean, really, because they're all different. And also, we were there once, too. We weren't always the, the perfect broadcaster, Mike, that you are today. And I also wasn't the perfect man that I am today. Far from it. We make mistakes all the time, and we made an awful lot of them as kids. Well, that's for sure. But thinking about the recovery that you went through as, as a nine-year-old boy, I'm so thankful to see that you took that experience. And I've got a local friend, a wonderful speaker named Eldridge Broussard. And Eldridge tells me that there is a difference between accepting your circumstances and embracing them. And that's what reminds me of you. When I think about how you're navigating through adversity, through positive decision-making, and how you're revealing brighter visions for what is possible versus what has been lost, and living boldly to impact others. So, did this come fairly quickly after the accident, or was this a long and slow, gradual process for you, John O'Leary? What a great question, Mike. So, it's a, it's a, it's a process that continues, to be honest with you. It, it is a journey. And I am no saint. I am no, no, no perfect example. But I'm trying to do a little bit better today than I did yesterday. I'm, I'm going to answer that question through a few, a few different channels, I think. Number one is you are born with a certain amount of optimism, naturally. But that's no longer an excuse. Like, once the thing happens, you get to decide what we do about it going forward. You get to choose your thoughts around it, your beliefs around it, your words, the words you speak to those around you, but also the words you speak to the reflection staring back at you in the mirror. And if you want, you can remain a victim to it for the rest of your lives. Mm. And that's a choice that many make. The blessing of my life in so many regards was who I had the honor of being raised by. I call them mom and dad, and they're still both alive today. My mother refused to let me play the role of victim. The the day I, I laid in the hospital bed, I looked up to her the first day, Mike, and I looked into her eyes and I said, Mom, am I gonna die? And she's looking down at a little boy. He's nine years old. He's longing for hope. He's got 100% of his body burned. He is dying. All he wants is a little bit of hope. And she says back to me, she takes my hand, baby, do you want to die? It's your choice. It's not mine. Now, some of us would think, gosh, that's harsh. Why would she not just say you're going to be fine and and we'll be with you? But she knew that at the end of the day, I got to be accountable, even at age nine. And your listeners, they got to be accountable. They have to choose. So I looked back at her and I said, Mom, I don't want to die. I want to live. And her response was, good. Then, baby, take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him, but you fight like you have never fought before. Your father and I will be with you every step along the way. But, baby, look at me. You got to fight. You got to want this thing. And, and Mike, I fought on day one. That's January 17th, 1987. And it has been a street fight just about every day since. But when I get out of bed every day, I give God thanks that I have the opportunity to watch that sunrise, put my feet back on the ground, and hopefully take the next best step forward. Your mom sounds like an amazing woman, John. You know, at some point, I'm going to write a whole book on just her. Like, she, she's so rich with wisdom. And, you know, she dealt with me, but I'm one of six kids, which meant all six of us are making mistakes all the way through life. Today, she is the the caretaker of my father who's got Parkinson's disease. He's had that for 26 years. That's a struggle. And the way she shows up every single day with grace and dignity and respect and on fire with faith. I'm, uh, I hope to someday be half the parent and half the woman, half the leader. I might, might say that she is, she's just an amazing person. I'm sure that your family is extremely proud of your accomplishments, John O'Leary. <laughs> 
So can you tell us about growing up? Was this a, a, a faith-based home that you were raised in? Yeah, so it, it's a great question as well. Yes, we pray before dinner. We go to church on Sundays. We, we do all this stuff. We dotted the I's and crossed the T's, and yet, until your faith is tested, it's sometimes hard to measure how faithful we really are. I mean, when the sun is always shining, it is very easy for all of us to say, thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. What a day it is. When it is pouring, and you're on your own, and the waves are rising, um, and it's getting dimmer, it is much harder to look up and say, thank you, Lord. And yet, I think it's Job who reminds us the Lord is, the Lord takes blessed be the name of the Lord. Like that, that is a very hard prayer to mutter when you're the one struggling. So yes, we were a very faith-based home, and I believed as a child at age nine, if I thought I could walk on water, if I'm in a boat and Jesus says, come on out, then I believed I could seriously do it. Then you recognize that you're in that boat and he's calling you out of, out of it to walk on water. And that was the thing you had to say yes to day after day after day for five months in hospital and now decades that have followed. And our God is so big that uh, although we can't walk on water with his help, we can. Amen to that. So, John, who inspires you? <laughs> well, you mentioned your mom for one, but are, are there any good authors or speakers that you admire nowadays? So I'm so like moved by every encounter in life, and I, yeah, the, the, the giggle that you uh, heard when you asked the question wasn't about the question. It's just about the broadness of my answer to it. I am so moved every time I see someone in a wheelchair, and I'm even more moved when I see someone pushing them. I'm, I'm so moved when I see someone who's begging for something on the side of a street corner, and even more moved when I see someone speaking to them, whether they're giving them dollars or food or love. I'm profoundly moved by that. I'm moved by the human experience, and I'm brokenhearted by the fact that we are taking it for granted these days and, and not recognize the sanctity of life. Like, this this bothers me. So I'm, I'm moved by each of our brothers and sisters' journey through life. We are all one. I don't care what your passport says. And candidly, you know, the, the prayer breakfast, it, the doors are wide open. So if your listeners right now don't know if they have a faith, well, come on in. Check it out. Kick the tires. You are welcomed here. You find a new home. So that the doors are wide open, and I'm, I'm moved by this. As far as writers, I love John MacArthur. I just think he's, he's attuned to the spirit. There's an old, um, I don't know where he's from, maybe Norway, named Henry Nowen. And Henry Nowen writes with such brokenness that I feel sorry for him as I'm turning the pages forward to see what he does next and how he finds God in the next encounter. So those would be a couple of the authors that I love, but day after day, experience after experience, encountering by encounter, we have these moments where we get to see the face of God. But we've got to decide whether or not we have eyes to see Him. But He's in front of us. This is John O'Leary, the keynote speaker of the YMCA of Columbia Willamette's Portland Good Friday Breakfast, coming up on April 19th. When we return, more with the inspirational speaker and the author of On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And Good Friday Breakfast also features the music of Dorcas Smith of the Brown Sisters. You won't want to miss it, and all the information is up at portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org and kpdq.com. When we return, more with John O'Leary on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, and you can't always choose the path you walk in life, but you can always choose the manner in which you walk it. John O'Leary is ready to guide you and your organization boldly into your inspired life, and he can show you how to transform today's challenges into a foundation for incredible growth, empowering thousands of individuals around the world 
to lead fuller and more significant lives. He's also a wonderful public speaker. So we are proud to partner alongside John O'Leary, our keynote speaker at Good Friday Breakfast, 7 a.m., April 19th, Good Friday morning at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland, also featuring music by Dorcas Smith of the Brown Sisters. And it is not a fundraiser for the YMCA of Columbia Willamette, which brings you Good Friday Breakfast. It's simply a celebration of bringing people together to be there and lift up the name of Jesus Christ with this inspirational speaker, music, and meal. It's the largest such event in Oregon. So, John, thank you so much for joining us this year. We really, really appreciate it and look forward to the message that you're going to be sharing with our people. Mike, it's an honor. And as you and I have talked about in the past, I, I don't travel. These are just really sacred days for my family and for me. And, and yet when the opportunity came to join you in Portland and to be part of something this big and this loving and this faith-filled, the answer had to be yes. So I, I am the one that's looking forward to it, and I appreciate the invitation. It's truly our pleasure. I know my pal um, Melody from FCCI had something to do with that. So thank you so much for taking the time out. Have you been to the Northwest before? Oh, sure. I've been to Portland many times and and, and the entire Northwest. I think it's just an incredibly gorgeous part of the country. So I'm looking forward to coming back. I wish my family could join me. Well, hopefully next time they'll be able to. So do you have any go-to spots or must-see places or restaurants? That's a good question. So... I can't remember the names of the restaurants. I have a rule, though, when I'm on the road that I don't eat at chains. So if you manage or lead a chain right now, don't, don't judge me. Don't think that I'm a horrible human being. But I, I like to get the experience of the community and really like the, the flavors and the texture. So uh, when I return for Good Friday, I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> to experiencing some of Portland's finest or lowest, but whatever it may be, it's going to be a Portland flavor. Well, welcome to Portlandia again, John O'Leary, and I hope it's a great experience for you, as I know it will be for all of our guests coming to Good Friday Breakfast. Tickets are still available. Lots of information you can find at portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. That's portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org, which connects to the YMCA of Columbia Willamette's website. Information about John and how to get tickets. You can get them individually, but... If you're a Christian business owner or a ministry or a church, I challenge you, go out and get a table. Invite people and say, hey, why don't you come out and join me? This is going to be a fun Good Friday breakfast and an inspiring one, among other things, thanks to what John has to share with us. So, John, I've got a question for you. A lot of people go through adversity, and some people fold, and yet others seem to really thrive and work through it, and that I would define as what you're doing because you're taking the tragedy that happened to you and being transparent about it and yet pointing toward Christ all at once. So my question for you is who in your inner circle, who are just your buds, your peeps, your friends that allow you to be just John as opposed to John O'Leary, inspirational speaker? (laughs) Mike, again, you're asking beautiful questions. But uh, my wife and I tonight are going to a little fish fry, and between the last time you and I spoke and then, and then this time, the commercial part I was thinking about tonight and thinking about your listeners and thinking about my friends up here at this little church fry, and uh, every one of them will not see me as an author. None of them will. None of them will see me as a podcaster. None of them will see me as a motivational speaker or a guy who travels the world. All of them will see me as a very ordinary guy. 
they will all see me as uh, a husband, my wife Beth, and a father to my four little ones. So in doing life in community, the beauty of them is they, they don't hold you in an esteem that is undeserved. They, they, they know you, the good and the bad, the dimples and the pimples. And so I'm blessed to be surrounded and to bask in, in love and, uh, and, and in acceptance. So I have, I have that in my church community. That's so important nowadays, John. We're always encouraging people to find a good, solid, Bible-believing church. And I couldn't care less about size, denomination, music styles. And I know all of these things are factors when you're looking for a church, maybe initially. And for those of us that have kids, children's programs can be a winning factor at times. But you'd mentioned earlier on that you grew up in a Christian home, but it was after you had this severe burning accident at age nine when the pedal was really put to the metal. So for you personally, John, was there a moment, whether it was before the burning or afterwards, where your faith was indeed your own as opposed to being your family's? That's such a, another great question. I believe that turning point came when my mother was with me in the emergency room. My my dad, this great guy named Denny O'Leary, just a great guy. We could we'll come back on the show some other time and just hold up dad and talk about him. But my father came into the room and I was really concerned that he was going to be angry. I felt like the prodigal son. Whatever the prodigal son did on the road, I did something worse. I blew up my dad's house. It burned to the ground. In that explosion, in that despair, I also injured my brother. There's a whole story around that. So I really let my family down and I knew it. And my dad comes into this emergency room. The very first thing he says to me is, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. And then he says, I love you. I love you, which blew me away. And I remember the nine-year-old thinking, oh, my gosh, nobody told my dad what happened. Right? This old, angry father of mine has no clue that I burnt down his house. So then I'm thinking, I wonder if I can get away with it. But of course, for those of us on the call, if you are a parent or you're an uncle or an aunt or you've ever loved anybody more than yourself, you recognize exactly what happened there. And, and Grace stepped into the picture, and unconditional love finally showed up, and it, it changed him. That's how it always goes, leaders. And then it changed me. But it changed my dad first. And right behind my dad, and this is this to answer your question long form, right behind my dad came my mom. And she took my hand and she challenged me. And I think that is really the first time that the faith became my own and the walk became my own and the decision to fully embrace God's hand in mine and trust that he was with me uh, became my choice and not my parents' choice. Your parents sounded like amazing people. And I'm glad to see that they're, they're both alive today. And especially for your mom, what an incredibly strong woman to be basically your, your dad's caretaker for all these years in his current state. Does she have a good support circle around her as you do? Yes, we do. We are fortunate to just be surrounded with, with believers, with givers. And I think those words should be synonyms. I, I, I believe, a true believer ought to be the giver. So for those of you listening right now, you know, here I am selling, but I'm going to sell anyway. Get a table and then bring your neighbors. Watch what happens in your community as you bring people not only toward Christ, but when you ignite them with something not only greater than themselves, but the possibility to choose the path forward and to elevate the lives of those around them. Part of my message is all around this. So I just encourage you right now, don't just show up by yourself. 
come to the Good Friday breakfast with your, your friends and neighbors and people you barely know, those you worship with or those you work with, and just watch what happens in that community. My mom and dad have been in community their whole lives, and so when fires rage or when Parkinson's is diagnosed, it's not surprising that the Army around them shows up to support. And in a world where we are hyper-connected, the reality is 52% of us feel isolated, according to a recent Gallup study. 52% of us. We all have friends coming out of our, who knows what, on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and everything else, and yet we feel, majority of us, isolated. My parents don't. In the midst of Parkinson's and other challenges financially and other ways, they are inundated with love. So that, that is one of the great gifts of our faith journey, and that's one of the powers of community. Well, I would agree with you, John. Certainly, if we who call ourselves Christians are worth our salt, we're going to to be the church. We're not simply going to show up on Sundays and raise our hands and toss a 20 in the uh, plate and call it a day. We're going to engage in community. And yes, maybe that's with non-believers, Maybe it's it's the widow across the street or the next door neighbors who are nice enough, but they don't yet know God. If you were to buy a table at the Good Friday breakfast and say, hey, why don't you come along with me for a meal? This will be fun. I think it makes a statement because they will have known that you're more than just fluff. You're more than just, hey, how's it going? And, and words as you walk down your driveway. You are taking time to invest in them and bring them with you to the Good Friday breakfast to hear a word from John O'Leary. So I really cannot encourage you enough to go to the website, portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. And not only can you get an individual seat, you can get yourself a table and you can even get a sponsorship. There are still some available. Maybe get your table or booth out in the hallway of the lovely Oregon Convention Center and get your brand out there. In addition to lifting up the name of Jesus on Good Friday. So, John, it's really exciting to see what you're able to do in the public. But one of the things that you do is speak to businesses. So what do you share with businesses when you speak in front of them, as opposed to speaking in front of third graders or inmates or just normal people? Right. So question 13, Mike, on our survey. You know, I'm a secular presenter in some regards. Question number 13 on our survey is what topics do you want John to shy away from? And there are always two answers to it. Well, guess what the two answers are, Mike? What are the two topics not to talk about? Guess what they might be. Is it the God thing when it comes to businesses? Of course. Don't talk about God. Of course. Please don't do it. Don't waste your time with that. And secondly, don't talk about politics. Because nothing will lose a room like talking about politics or faith. And yet, what you challenge your listeners to do right before you asked that question was, do talk about politics. Do talk about faith. Do talk to people who don't look and act and worship just like you. Reach out across the aisle. Reach beyond the walls. This is what you just challenge your listeners to do, and we are lousy at it. But the thing is, if you go back a couple thousand years, Jesus Christ was angry a couple times, and it's almost always in synagogue, meaning the guys who look and act and worship just like him. He's most loving, as far as we can read it and tell, in these areas that aren't full of believers who look and act just like him. It's at the well. It's celebrating those who are foreigners, those who are different, those who are non-believers. It's loving them well, and it's encouraging the rest of us to come to him like they do. So our job, if you will, as believers, is to not only hang out and high-five those who have the secret handshake, but to uh, meet the neighbor that might be a little cynical, 
who might not be up for an event like this and say, you know what, check it out. I think it's going to be a fun morning. And it's, if nothing else, it's going to be full of some pretty good music, a very good breakfast, and a speaker that I heard is pretty inspiring. <laughs> We're so looking forward to having you join us, John. So what do you do in your free time? Any hobbies, teams that you follow, my St. Louis brother? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a sports fan, so I follow the St. Louis Cardinals primarily. But in my free time, I've taken on the uh, the cross, if you will, of following anything that my kids love. So, so what are they into? into? Well, my seven-year-old girl is into doing her hair in braids and playing dolls. So last night, Dad is doing hair in braids and uh, playing dolls in the dollhouse. My son, Patrick, he's 11. He's hugely into basketball. So yesterday, he and I, in the rain, we're shooting baskets together. My son, Jack, is big time into Boy Scouts and into nature. Uh, Henry's into soccer. He's into Fortnite. I'm sure many of your listeners know what that is. So I I try to meet these kids where they are. And uh, I think if you love people really well where they are, eventually they're going to come to a realization and say, what is it about you, Dad, that makes you as joyful as you are? So I, I try not to preach at them. I try to love them to such a degree that they can learn, for example, the recent world in my life. And, uh, and they've now begun to discover the same truth in their own. John O'Leary is the president, speaker, and author of John O'Leary Live Inspired. He's the host of a new podcast episode and guest every Thursday. He's lived through more than most can imagine, but he's far more than simply a survivor of severe burns at the age of nine. He is pointing people toward Christ. He is a beacon of hope, and he's ready to share his message with us all at Good Friday Breakfast, 7 to 8.45 a.m., April 19th, Good Friday morning, at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland. John O'Leary will be joined by Dorcas Smith of the Browns Sisters, a wonderful musician. And on the way out, anyone you want to say hi to, John O'Leary? Oh, man. So let me say, because my kids are listening right now. I, I told them about this, so they're listening right now. So Jack, Patrick, Henry, and Grace, they got the day off school today. Kids, I love you. Mom, I'll be home in about an hour. And listeners, just one more time, I'm not there to sell you anything other than life and life more abundant. That's worth coming out to. So join us at the breakfast and get ready for a transformative day together as one. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to be a part of it. Thank you so much, John O'Leary, and thank you for listening to Difference Makers.